Now we begin the final three weeks of this old year of grace. And on these three Sundays, we will hear all of chapter 25 of St. Matthew's Gospel, which conveniently contains three sections. We just heard the parable of the ten virgins. Next Sunday, we will hear the parable of the talents. And in two weeks, on the solemnity of Christ the King, we will hear the description by the Lord Jesus of the last day when he will return in glory to judge the living and the dead and make all things new. That is the transformation of the entire cosmos into the new heavens and the new earth, which is also described by St. Paul in the second lesson today. The parable of the ten virgins in today's gospel can sound contrived to our ears until we understand a little bit about Jewish nuptial customs in the time of Christ. Weddings typically took place in the home of the bride's father, and in small towns and villages, a wedding was an event not just for the two families and their friends, but for everyone. Most weddings took place at night, and the last to arrive would be the groom, who would be preceded and announced by his groomsmen. Meanwhile, the bridesmaids, tinned by custom, would, after everything was in readiness, go out of the house to await the groom and his men, and then accompany them into the joy of the wedding feast. Because by that time it was dark and there were no streetlights, each of the bridesmaids would carry an oil lamp and be responsible for providing light for the procession. In this parable, then, Christ himself is the bridegroom. And because his return in glory on the last day will seem delayed after his resurrection, all of his disciples, here represented by the ten bridesmaids, must stay awake and remain vigilant for his arrival, lest, like the five foolish bridesmaids, we be caught unawares and ill-prepared and then be shut out of the wedding feast of the Lamb. The point of this parable is that things essential to the life of grace cannot be borrowed from friends or bought from others. I cannot live by the faith of someone else, and I cannot erase my own vices by laying claim to the virtues of another. Each of us, all of us, must be ready at all times to give an account of our own lives to the Lord, because one day, without prior notice, we must all do so. The oil for the lamps in this parable stands for the supernatural gifts of faith, hope, and love, and for the good works that flow from living according to the law of love. When Christ the bridegroom returns for his bride the church, each of us will be judged according to our own lives and not the conduct of others. And at the moment of judgment, it will not be possible for us to acquire then the faith, hope, and love which must shape our lives now. As the Savior teaches us today, crying out, Lord, Lord, because we are unprepared for judgment, will be insufficient, no matter how urgent the need. Those who have cultivated a virtuous life and are ready for the bridegroom are described by the Lord Jesus today as being wise. And our first lesson explains something of the beauty of wisdom. 
The Book of Wisdom is one of the seven texts of the Old Testament excluded by Protestants from the canonical books of Holy Scripture, primarily because it was written in Greek rather than in Hebrew. The Book of Wisdom was composed by an anonymous author in Alexandria, Egypt, about 100 years before the birth of the Messiah. The text is sometimes called the Wisdom of Solomon because as a literary device, the author speaks in the voice of the wisest of kings, the son of David. But the Book of Wisdom was actually composed about 800 years after the death of King Solomon. The unknown author of the Book of Wisdom knew the Hebrew scriptures intimately, but he knew them through their Greek translation called the Septuagint, which is also the version of scripture quoted most often by the Lord Jesus himself. A central theme of the Book of Wisdom is the radical distinction between righteousness leading to life and unrighteousness leading to death. And those who would seek righteousness and find eternal life must follow the path of wisdom, a virtue which is personified in the Book of Wisdom as a noble lady who has been with God since the foundation of the world. And so our first reading today has it resplendent and unfading as wisdom, and she is readily perceived by those who love her and found by those who seek her. She hastens to make herself known in anticipation of their desire. Whoever watches for her at dawn shall not be disappointed, and he shall find her sitting by his gate. Friends, this kind of watchful vigilance is exhibited by the wise bridesmaids in today's parable, and such wisdom is an essential mark of mature Christian discipleship. So think now of the people you have known in your life whom you consider to have been most wise. What qualities of character, action, and speech bore witness to their wisdom? What suffering, failure, and disappointment did they endure and transcend to bring about in them the virtue of wisdom? Such wisdom is a sure sign of the holiness needed to share in the joy of the wedding feast of the Lamb. But while we can all grow in wisdom and other human virtues through our own efforts to cooperate with God's grace, it is divine wisdom in which we must participate by grace through faith if we are to live forever in the kingdom of God. And that gift of grace comes not from any acquired human wisdom. It comes only from divine wisdom made flesh from the one alone who is both the wisdom of God and the divine bridegroom of the church, the Son of David and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus.